In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. As the earth puts forth her crops or plants in the garden, burst into flower, so will the Lord God make his victory and renown blossom before all the nations. Isaiah 61:11. I love Isaiah. He's so poetic. And the images that he weaves as he prophesizes about the second coming and the future of Israel taps into nature the beauty of which was and still is witnessed by all who work with the earth, or for that matter, have eyes to see. During his lifetime, the people he was prophesying to, and me today, especially during this spring and early summer, were able to visualize the crops, the flowers, and the blossoming that Isaiah writes about. Here in London, there are a lot of pollarded trees along the street verges. They look ugly in the winter, standing in rows along the roads, naked with the ends of their branches knotted heavenward as if shaking their clenched fists to the skies. It's June and some of these trees have still not shown any signs of bursting forth with their pale green leaves. The miracle of nature is that they will, and quickly. I have a rose bush in my little flower bed and it yields the most fragrant of flowers. Not only that, When I bring a couple of buds inside, they sit in a vase on my desk and slowly open and open and open until after five or six days, they fill the small vase I put them in with their plate-sized blooms and scented the room with their perfume. I can imagine God's victory and renown resembling my roses. No one will miss the coming of the Lord, just as no one misses my roses. And the pollarded trees will fill the city streets with greenery and no one will remember the bare branches as they enjoy the cool leafy shade cast along the pavements. God will blossom before all the nations, just as our gardens and fields, lanes and hedgerows can be counted on to do year after year. Well, good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney, and happy new month, June the 1st. My guest this week is Julie Anderson, author of Quickest Way to Insanity, Homeschool Your Kids. She is a public speaker, business and homeschool consultant who discovered the importance of the brain while she was embedded at home with her children for 16 years. I'll be giving you an account of a cultural week spent at our church, remembering the sound of thunder, reconnecting with the sun, and finishing up the chapter about my sometimes elusive adolescent homeschoolers making their way into the world as semi-independents. Coffee is still a good beverage choice for me with some plain digestive biscuits to dunk. So prepare to listen as I get prouder and proudest to be British during this focal weekend of Her Majesty's Diamond Jubilee. 
Well, we've just got over a very hot week, and it's thundering as I speak, a sound I haven't heard since I've been here. Just not enough friction in the air to boom. I rediscovered just how amazing the British are. We all try to take full advantage of what may be a short summer. It's almost June. Well, it is June today. And I've got my central heating on and my electric blanket still warms the bed each night. Here's what I noticed about the remarkable Londoner. They go from Uggs, jumpers, coats, scarves, hats and gloves to sleeveless summer dresses, shorts, sandals, bare legs and less in the blink of an eye. Not me. On the first sunny day, Hubs was in his shorts and a short-sleeved shirt. But then he's not only an American, but a Texan to boot, so can relate to rapid changes in weather. While I was still in my jeans and sperries, long-sleeved shirt, jumper, scarf, and jacket. I'd laid aside my gloves and long johns. The day before had been a miserable 45 degrees, after all, and I wasn't prepared to take any chances of goose-bumping up. That day we were in Portobello Road on a little excursion and I quickly warmed up and discarded my leather jacket and sweater. I looked at everyone around me dressed for the beach and wondered where my summer stuff was. It had been so long since I'd packed it away I couldn't remember. Not that I was even remotely summer ready yet. Like everyone else seemed to be, smooth, silky legs, painted toenails, soft elbows, toned upper arms. By day three, I was in Bermudas and a short sleeve T-shirt, but my feet weren't ready for sandals yet. And my lightweight cardigan lurked nearby around my neck, just in case a cloud obscured the sun and I started to get chilled. It crept to 84 degrees yesterday, I'm told, and people were wilting beneath signs and tannoy announcements, cautioning us to carry water bottles with us in the heat. We were in Holland Park, part of London, and the lawn was dotted with bikini-clad sun worshippers. This is during the week, in the middle of the day, in the middle of the town of Notting Hill. Every blue sky moment counts here on the British Isles, and folks strip off. Men shirtless in the underground were a little uncouth, their red skin winced of pain in the not-too-distant future. And yesterday on my excursion to Leon C to visit my youngest during her half-term visit that wasn't, I wore sandals and my skin is starting to lose its ivory luster while my fellow Londoners have developed healthy tans seemingly overnight. We walked the longest pleasure pier in the world at 1.3 miles out into the estuary at South End. It was blowy and cold and I caught the sun on my neck, the only exposed part of me. The pier has been struck by fishing barges twice in the time I've been here, causing its closure for repairs. Once last September, when I tried to walk it the first time, and then a few days after it was reopened in February, when another fishing boat struck. We could see the new boards and were worried about the old ones. My blue-eyed cowboy said it was the longest walk he's ever taken and had to pay for. They're building a large glass structure at the end of the pier to entice visitors, and there is a lifeboat museum. Otherwise, there's nothing to walk that far for except toilets and a small cafe that boasts takeaway. My youngest said, Oh, just popping down to the end of the pier to get us a takeaway, love. Won't be an hour. 
just as I was beginning to ferret around for my swimsuit, it started raining. So I'll have to make do with my farmer's tan while my co-countrymen have turned an enviable nut brown. How do they do it at a moment's notice? Well, I suppose they have to, because if they dilly-dally, the sun goes in and you're out of luck, like today. Well, last week, my southern gentleman and I went out every night. We felt like teenagers, although the venue was a little mellow by teenage standards, the church. By the end of the week, my Texan was saying, I'm ready for a break. I was enjoying the cultural immersion to be had just down the road at our local arts and music festival. Last week, our parish church really came into its own, as in days gone by when there was no television sitting in the corner of the living room. My blue-eyed cowboy and I became patrons, so we gained entry into everything going on. It's amazing how when we first arrived, our calendar was slightly bare, and now we have to refer to it before committing ourselves to anything. And you know what I think the secret to that is, apart from being here for a good long stretch of time? Our ability to insinuate ourselves into several social groups that translate no matter where we are in the world, like the church and theatre, for starters. Then I became an active board member in the flat, where I began to feel my age amongst the retirees, although I can still walk up and down the stairs to the meetings at the top of the building. Then I made friends with local shopkeepers and bus drivers and a hairdresser who is on a quest to complete my makeover before I return in July. Watch out for new photos soon. Anyway, back to the arts and music festival. I found an artist whom I liked. I'm a sucker for watercolours. And she happened to be a parishioner, so even better. We bought a view of the pathway we take each day through the churchyard on our way to and from the high street or services. Of course, I love the gravestones. We commissioned the same artist to paint our local, the Jolly Woodman, which she said would be a change for her, and we'll be proud to hang some local art on our Texas farmhouse walls. And on a literary note, Kate Colcoon came and talked about her book, Mr. Briggs's Hat, which tells of the first murder on the railway in Britain in 1864, a fascinating account of second-generation Victorian London and America. It turns out that Mr. Briggs' great-great-granddaughter is a member of our congregation. Not only that, she also sings in our choir. How special can it get? I got a signed copy of the book and had the great-great-granddaughter sign it too. And the music, well, as expected, it was absolutely incredible. Performed by adults and children, depending on the group. We enjoyed Handel, Vivaldi's Four Seasons, the Brandenburg Concerto. A wonderful flautist who was only 17, playing an American composer, Rouse. Shostakovich, who I normally wouldn't listen to, but watching the expressions on these young people's faces when they played their strings was so entertaining I came away a fan. We had singing from Bach to Bernstein, Cleo Lane and Friends, and to cap it all, a youth concert band that was amusing and talented, playing the whole gamut of instruments from violins to trombones to percussion and wind. What a treat to have talented musicians who play in famous symphony orchestras and some of their equally talented children who live in the local area and understand the need to bring high-quality music to those who usually have little access to live classical music. And last week, before my show came to a resounding end, I was telling you about my very first fan and eventual guest, the formerly Mike Shine, Tina in California. Tina assures me that I was absolutely responsible for getting her over her Mike Shyness. She said after doing my show, she thought, well, that wasn't so hard. Actually, it was quite fun. 
Thus, the podcast Savvy Homeschool Mums was born. It was great to discover I touched someone in a zany and crazy way. Go listen on iTunes under Homeschool Podcast to Tina, who makes everything she does, and she does a lot, seem effortless and easy. Oh, and while you're in the iTunes store, find The Sociable Homeschooler and write me a review. And with our pending homecoming in mind, there's no getting away from it. My Texan and I went to a place called Bedford to look at some really reasonably priced log cottages. They really couldn't be called homes. Well, they're cabins, I suppose. And they're used for garden offices, music rooms, gyms, playrooms, exercise rooms, anything you can think about. And while I was there, I noticed lots of signs to places that I recognized being near to my school that I didn't even know about. And what do we want these English log cabins for? Well, that's another story that we'll have to wait for later. And with that, I have to go on a break. So join me in. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVent Live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Doctor, doctor. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management, the holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness, how emotions are directly related to physical illness, and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Want to be challenged in a powerful way to leap beyond what you think is possible? Then join us Mondays for the Leah Jensen Show every Monday at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com with Leah Jensen. Listen live as life coach Leah uses her coaching skills to give you the tools you need to take action and create momentum. You are encouraged to call in and share your greatest fears, challenges, and obstacles. And then listen as Leah obliterates those barriers to success. For more on Leah and the show, check out her website, leahjansen.com. That's Leah, L-E-A-H-J-A-N-T-Z-E-N.com. Spend one hour with Leah, and you'll be captivated by her energy, enthusiasm, and magnetism. You'll quickly become addicted to her positive attitude and make-it-happen mentality. Ready for a life-changing, mood-altering show? Then get ready for Leah Jensen. And listen live to The Leah Jensen Show every Monday morning at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. All 
right. Well, I'm going to go straight into my book excerpt and, um, it might be a little bit out of order, but, you know, they say a change is as good as a rest. So we're still in England and it's Christmas and we're having culture shock after culture shock. The children were astonished by the fact that turkeys hung in butcher shop windows, dead, plucked and vulnerable. Not in fridges, not neatly packaged in plastic but hanging by butcher's hooks all along the walls with sold signs on most of them. Customers waiting until the last possible moment before claiming their bird. Family-owned small businesses closed on Christmas Eve and didn't reopen until after the new year. My children were fascinated by the abundance of food hauled out at every house we visited and by the snow that fell for days on end. We took lots of photos, knowing it could be the last time all of us would be together again. When we returned to America, they were ready to start afresh with new jobs and continuing education led by individual desires. Paris loved her job as, at, as a lifeguard at the indoor pool. It was not full time, but she went several times a week. It suited her to spend her shift sitting on the high observation chair, scanning the pool. She loved having a legitimate excuse to be in a swimsuit all day and get wet when she wanted to. She enjoyed the humidity in the pool area, the variety in her job when she was asked to fold towels during quiet spells, and getting to know the young people who worked with her. When summer came around, she extended her certification to include a license to give swimming lessons, and her natural penchant for children made her a success among the four- and five-year-olds. SATs and college entrance exams should have been looming for Paris, but she was still not ready for college. We spent her 17th year and Wildflower Academy's 13th wrapping up the academics and praying for God to show us what he had planned for her if a formal course of further education was not going to be the immediate answer. In essence, she needed to take a year off without feeling as though she had shirked her further education. The Brit in me embraced the idea of a gap year. Extended family members and strangers in the street exercised their rights as citizens to express their unbidden concern about what I was going to do about my daughter's education. I explained the English and Eastern custom of taking a year off to mature and grow before starting a new phase of life and continued on my way. Also at this turning point in Wildflower Academy's future, Simon was preparing to graduate from the community college and move on to his four-year school. He and his girlfriend had been through all the high school social requirements, which I mentioned earlier, and copious photographs had been taken. I'd done the required mother-son task of visiting the campus of his choice, A&M, filling out financial aid forms, meeting with major professors and advisors, and looking for student accommodation. I did most of the talking as we made sure all his classes transferred from Colin College and he was going to be able to graduate from A&M in two years. All the advisors thought his academic qualifications were remarkable, but it didn't help him get any scholarships. None were available through the school for anyone not entering as a freshman. He did have a perk, though. Much better football game seats in the stadium than his freshman friends. We attended an Aggie cheer training session where we learned year-specific cheers from the male cheerleaders. 
everyone stands the entire game because of the 12th man tradition. Don't ask. I'm an Aggie mum, not an Aggie. My cowboy and I ended up falling in love with College Station and visited it at every opportunity we could get. Our oldest son was preparing to move out of the house into a nearby flat on his own so that he didn't keep disrupting the family. Plus, he was getting a bit stifled living with the parentals and the siblings. All of a sudden, I had three preparing to move onwards and outwards, and the fourth was hovering in the wings of anticipation, watching to see what would happen next in her favour. A household herself, perhaps, before the mass exodus occurred, I decided to enlist the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Confirmation is an important time in a young Christian's life, and the Church has many ideas on when this sacrament should be conferred. In the Catholic Church, the recognised age of wisdom is 13 years old, and this is when my oldest son, Ian, had received the outward sign of inward grace and become a soldier of Christ. Unfortunately, the years had drifted by without there being another confirmation class at our church, and I had two children ready to leave the house without the benefit of the Holy Spirit. I pushed the issue, and our parish priests agreed that I could homeschool my three remnants through most of the required reading and instruct them accordingly. I didn't want to take any chances with Malia when her time to leave rolled around. They were confirmed at another church, where the bishop was visiting one auspicious day during Pentecost. Their foreheads were anointed with chrism, hands were laid on their shoulders, and their faces were symbolically slapped. They arose from the bishop's feet, dazed, stricken, oiled, and emboldened. While I was researching and teaching the confirmation classes, I heard about a couple of mission opportunities from some members of our congregation who knew I was looking for an alternative to college for Paris. They were both local to our area and involved youth and travel two attractive criteria for Paris who was eager to leave home. One was YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and the other was the Mercy Ships. Both of them were based in Tyler, the city where their grandmother lived in East Texas. A girl from our church was currently serving with Mercy, Ship, Mercy Ships on the Anastasia, moored off the western coast of Africa. Our priest's sister had also served in this capacity, so we were able to talk to two sets of parents about this exposure to missionary work to find out whether it was really something we could encourage our daughter to do. After her confirmation and a lot of deliberation about whether she wanted to be a missionary, Paris decided this was something she would like to do. It fulfilled her desire to flex her wings on her own for a year and involved young people and families so she would feel secure even though she was a long way from home. We began the long process of raising money, filling out the paperwork and waiting for acceptance. Mercy Ships is a large private hospital ship. Yeah, is a large private hospital ship seeking to bring help to the forgotten poor on the west coast of Africa. At the time Paris was applying to join the ship, it was anchored off the coast of Liberia. Our church fully supported her financially, and the wage earners in our family of homeschool students tithed straight into her outreach fund. The summer that marked the beginning of our 14th year of operation as a homeschool saw us holding a large party for all our friends to wish my two middle children bon voyage on the next leg of their journeys and my oldest farewell to his abode down the road. I had them heading east with friends and southeast alone. The homeschool was dwindling. Our youngest was preparing to be an only child. 
And funnily enough, and I don't know how this happens, but we actually celebrated Pentecost last Sunday, talking about the Holy Spirit, and all kinds of emotions flowed through me. It was at this time that we left England last year. My mother died, and a new life for all of us began, blessedly, with the Holy Spirit. Last night, I attended not as a sponsor because I was the wrong denomination, but as an aunt, my older nephew's confirmation. His godmother was our neighbour in London who raised the profile of Balaam with her celebrity status as host of BBC Four's radio show, Pick of the Week, when she moved in almost 40 years ago. I was a baby back then. She mentioned that our visit had coincided well with our younger nephew's first Holy Communion and now the confirmation. She said, if you stay here a little longer, you'll be able to come to my funeral. Always a wit. And my blue-eyed cowboy is always coming home with a story when he goes out about how he'd helped someone in need even if it's just picking up the front of a pushchair and helping a mum down the stairs at Victoria Station or carrying a suitcase up the stairs for an elderly lady. I never seem to have those moments, and more often than not, if I do, they pass me by, and I spend a few agitated minutes beating myself up before I remember to love me so I can love my neighbour. We were out last week having a coffee and my southern gentleman went off to powder his nose or whatever polite thing it is that men do when they go to the loo. I continued to sit and watch the people wandering down the road. They were all foreign, European foreign, not an American in earshot. Behind me, I heard someone asking politely, would you like to buy me a cup of tea? I pricked up my ears at the English, but imagined it to be someone in a group of passing strollers. I heard the same question again, and then a slim man came into my view and stared right into my face. Excuse me, he said. Would you like to buy me a cup of tea? Yes, I said. I'll buy you a cup of tea. And I went to get up. Well, he said, would you give me the money for a water? I was on my feet now. Now, I won't give you any money, but I'll buy you a cup of tea if that's what you want. His eyes darted to the fridge packed with cold bottled drinks. An orange juice. Would you buy me an orange juice or a... I slipped into automatic mum pilot. Go and choose what you want. I indicated the display of drinks with a nod of my head and I'll buy it for you. I made my way to the counter. He chose a Coke and I told the barista that I was buying it and then he left with his drink. That was very kind of you, said the young man behind the counter, when I paid him the pound fifty for the drink. Well, hey, I'd got my chance to do a good deed. He asked me so politely I could hardly resist. He'd struck my mum cord with his carefully chosen words. I told my Texan the story when he returned with a well-buffed nose, and he said, did you buy him a drink? And I said, of course. Well, good for you. It was a baby step designed for me to handle. What was it God said? Show me your faithfulness in small things and I will give you charge over larger things. Sometimes God is right there staring me in the face and I just have to see him. And I want to say something about this weekend. And at the moment, we had such a hot, hot week last week. It looks really overcast, which might be a good sign because then the sun will be beating down on us during all the festivities. 
But if it starts to rain, that would be really miserable because I'm sure there are going to be millions of people in London watching the Queen do whatever she's going to do. And she has a busy schedule. I mean, she's 80-something, 85, I think. And I've got to go on a break, so... How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready to laugh along with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Ali Lopreet. Friday evenings at 6, 5 central on Togedet.com. This is a truly realistic, no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is method that will have you laughing and crying, surviving while struggling, and hammering away at the hardships as you travel through the greatest journey of your life. Get empowered by joining thousands of other parents who have also decided to take a leap of faith into a double career with longer hours and half the pay simply because of the love they have for their children. Together, we are rebuilding a new economy that will support us rather than enslave us. Never again will we have to choose between raising our children and earning to provide for them. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. For more on Allie and her success, check out her website, OurMilkMoney.com. So come get empowered with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Allie Lopreet. Friday afternoons at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Have you been laid off? Fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search, physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one spiritual perspective, all must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central here on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, you know, a few weeks ago, I did a little piece on John Taylor Gatto, a retired New York State public school teacher who won the Teacher of the Award, Teacher of the Year Award in 1991 and then retired. And um, he does, he's, he's very, very um, homeschool, homeschool supporter. And um, he thinks that schools are just the worst place that um, a child could possibly be, especially as he was a teacher and he could kind of see what um, he had to do, what the administration was, you know, kind of sending down from the top for what he had to do um, with with the kids in the classrooms. And he could see that it, it just really didn't help them learn at all. If In fact, it helped them be um, very dependent and not in, independent thinkers and, you know, not able to use their unique gifts. And um, 
So what he does is he works in um, New York, in um, urban New York, and he actually still takes kids and does hands-on stuff around the city. It's called guerrilla teaching, he he calls it. And um, he goes out and he actually appears at at conferences and he talks an awful lot about um, this homeschooling stuff. And although he isn't Christian, I mentioned when when I last spoke about him, there's an awful lot of what he says and an awful lot of what he his supportive um, personality for homeschoolers that we can take as homeschoolers, we can take and we can learn from rather like um, the Egyptians, well, not the Egyptians, the Hebrews, when they left Egypt, they accepted any gifts and any, any food and any kind of money that was um, offered to them by the friends and neighbors and people that they worked for in Egypt. So that's what we can do as Christians, although, um, you know, we're told to live in the world, but not be of it, we can actually live in the world and, you know, sort of take advantage of a lot of the good things that are offered to us that can be used so that we can glorify God in an even better way. Because obviously, God gave us these brains um, to be able to develop some wonderful technology. And it just takes a human to ruin some of this really good stuff. And we, we have to be able to discern what it is that um, we need to take and use in our homeschool classrooms and what it is that we can just leave by the wayside. And um, John Taylor, as I was saying, and I'm going to continue a little bit with him, um, was a certified or is a certified instructor of English language and literature who claims in his essay entitled The Six Lesson School Teacher that what he really did each day was to make six, make sure that six fundamental lessons common to all schools from Harlem to Hollywood were presented to each of his classes. And here they are in a condensed form. Lesson one, stay in the class. Now, remember, this is lesson one. So this is what he, as the teacher, is telling his students, not in so many words, but just in his actions. Okay, so lesson one, stay in the class where you belong, know your place and endure it. His job, he says, is to make his pupils like being locked in together. Good test results will ensure them a transfer to a higher level class and eventually an employer will be impressed enough to hire them, even though he knows this is not the case. Lesson two, turn on and off like a light switch. Nothing important is ever finished in his or anyone else's classes. The lesson of Bell's is that no work is worth finishing. So why care too deeply about finishing anything? And if you think about it, a child is in the middle of doing a task, like maybe they've been given um, an essay to write or a poem to write, and they're in the middle of it and the bell goes and they put their pencil down, close their books, gather everything up, stand up, leave and go to the next class. Do they ever come back to that piece of work, that piece of poetry? Well, one would hope so. But, you know, if any of those children are like me, when I start, when when the words start to flow, I hate to be interrupted. And I really, you know, need that time to sit down and spend several hours working, not just 40 minutes and maybe not just 20 of those 40 minutes um, that I might have in the classroom. And that was lesson two, turn on and off like a light switch. Lesson number three, surrender your will to a predestined chain of command. Individuality is a curse to all systems of classification. And really, 
in the defense of these large institutions and these large schools, they couldn't do it any other way. I mean, you just have to have this, this rote um, of this time you have to be here and at this time you have to be there and you just have to learn all the same stuff. They really, I mean, a teacher sitting there with 25 students cannot pander or cater to every individual student's individual learning um, curve or learning um, capability. So surrender to the predestined chain of command. Lesson four, the curriculum you will study is determined by the people who pay the teacher to enforce it. As their teacher, he has the power to determine which parts of the curriculum will be learned because of the time constraints. Good students wait for a teacher to tell them what to do. The lesson is that other people will make the meanings of our lives a dependency lesson that keeps the entire economy afloat. And, you know, that was a very sad state of affairs that I personally experienced. Before I came here to England, I was working as a volunteer for a group um, of, um, it, was an, it was an artistic organization, and they were sending drama teachers and musicians and other artists into after-school programs in uh, pretty poor areas um, where the schools were massive. I mean, they had thousands and thousands of children in these schools here in Dallas, well, there in Dallas. And um, they were sending these artistic, these, these teachers in there to give the children some form of um, artistic expression and some, some way of um, expressing themselves. And they were, they were doing this, I think the oldest child was maybe 11, because after that, I suppose the parents said, you know, decided that the children were okay to be at home by themselves. And um, some of the teachers that we watched were very, very creative, and they would, they would hand out um, all kinds of things to students one day, like, um, you know, macaroni and paint and glue and string, and um, just say to them, you know, do what you want to do with this. Well, most of the children would look at the teacher and say, well, you tell us what to do and we'll do it. They had no way of thinking for themselves. They had no idea how to operate without instructions. And then I went into the schools in the mornings and actually saw some arts classes taking place actually in the schools. And, and the schools I went into were the um, high schools, so the children were older. And I went into a dance class where the teacher was um, allowing self-choreography to go on. She wasn't actually choreographing anything. She had like an eight, um, they had to make something up to an eight count of music. And it could be, she could play any music. They just had to um, dance, whatever it was that they had choreographed. And these, these kids were doing really well. And she had had them for most of the year and obviously was doing this to try and encourage them to express themselves. And it was really interesting to watch to watch what was going on. So, I mean, some of the schools are doing quite well with their te with the teachers and encouraging the children to be unique and individuals. But, oh, my gosh, these younger children, these, these not they weren't really daycare centers. They were after school programs. It was really sad watching watching some of that going on. So um, a dependency lesson that keeps the entire economy afloat. If you think about it, we're dependent on people telling us what to do. And here in England, actually, we can see that an awful lot. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier on in the show that there were big signs that went up when, when we were in our second and third day of quite hot weather saying, take water with you. Make sure you carry a bottle of water with you. 
And um, I thought, well, you know, that's that's wise and um, good. But, you know, people are told what to do here an awful lot. They, they really are. They're spoon-fed a lot. Um, lesson five, self-respect depends on an observer's measure of your worth. Self-evaluation doesn't exist. If you have to depend on how somebody else grades your papers and views you in a class, are you an A student or are you a C student? You know, how does your brain work when when tests happen or, um, you know, that kind of stuff? What kind of pressure are you under? Are you a test taker or not? And so really, I mean, you could be an A student, but a C might be the highest grade that you can manage to get in an academic class. And really, that has no bearing on what kind of, you know, sort of job you'll make of um, uh, an employment opportunity after school. So the lesson of report cards is that children should not trust themselves or their parents, but rely on the evaluation of certified officials. His pupils' futures are based on the casual judgments of strangers. That's kind of scary, isn't it? And I always say to my children, I know you better than anybody else. You know, that's especially when they're not listening to me. Because, I mean, children, you know, sort of have this little uncanny um, ability to really not listen so much to their parents but when they get older they go into the outside world and they come back and they say you know so and so saying exactly the same as you used to say and they'll listen to these other people out there but they won't listen to us and then as they get a little bit older maybe they'll come and you know sort of tap into our wisdom and our maturity and um, we can react um, accordingly because we do know our children really really well lesson six you are being watched there are no private spaces for children, no private time. Homework extends this surveillance into the home. The lesson here is children need to be closely watched if you want to keep a society under central control. Anyway, John Taylor Gatto finishes by lamenting the truth that there is only a small number of people who can imagine a different way of doing things. Home and unschoolers. John claims that it only takes about 50 contact hours to transmit basic literacy and math skills well enough that children can be self-teachers from then on. Having our children in the classroom for 12 years and taking thousands of hours to teach the basics through practice, practice, practice is a smokescreen behind which to teach the six lessons outlined above. And I think that's really quite interesting that you can teach everything that your child needs to, to know in about 50 hours, the basics of reading, the basics of math. And from there, they're equipped to go it alone with a little bit of guidance. So that's John Taylor Gatto's wisdom for you. And it looks as though I am going to have to go on another break in just a moment. Um, but I do have a guest waiting for me online and so my guest is going to be with me for my last segment so come back in about 90 seconds and we'll be talking to julie anderson How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? 
That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is certified as a life coach who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on Juliana and her show, check out her website, connectwithjuliana.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Okay, well, my guest this week is Julie Anderson, and she's a returning visitor to my show and a veteran homeschooler of 16 years with three boys who were the inspiration for her book, Quickest Way to Insanity, Homeschool Your Kids. And I love that title. (laughs) Julie has an extensive educational background and um, covering natural health, psychology, brain function, and much more. And she enjoys sharing her knowledge with homeschoolers and parents through workshops and keynote addresses that she does. And today she's here to talk to us about um, understanding how the brain learns best. And um, welcome, Julie. And how are you this morning? I know it's really early for you, and um, we need to get on to your topic. So how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, and I apologize for this morning, but thank you very much for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. So, okay, Julie, let's just jump straight in. I'll, I will tell people later on um, what show it was that you were on before so that they can go back and listen to all of your background information. And um, so we'll just go straight into what. how does the brain learn best? What can we as homeschoolers um, do with our children and with our relationships with our spouses probably and ourselves um, to ensure that we are using the brain in the best way? Well, I think it's really important in a homeschool environment um, that we break the mold, which most parents do anyways, 
But when we take our learning and the way we teach our children to the next level, we can be so effective. I think it's interesting. I caught the end of what you were saying about John Taylor Gatto and how he said that it really only takes much fewer hours than what the mm-hmm. public school system says to teach. And when you are teaching with the brain and to teach different subjects, and when you are teaching with the brain in mind, that is how much more rapid we can teach these different subjects. Because the brain, um, John Medina says in his book, How the Brain Learns, or no, I'm sorry, his book, Brain Rules, mm-hmm. that if you were to create an environment that was directly opposed to the best way for the brain to learn, directly opposed, you would create a public school system, mm-hmm. schoolroom. Mm-hmm. So we need to do something completely outside of the box, and that means having comfortable places for the body. Because when the body's comfortable, the brain's comfortable. Mm-hmm. I like illustrating it as if, if you have a pebble in your shoe, it can be the smallest little pebble. Mm-hmm. But it is going to distract your brain until mm-hmm. you get it out, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can't, it can be this little teeny tiny piece of sand, and yet it will bother your brain and your brain will be distracted. And it's the same way with your comfort. If you're sitting at a hard, uncomfortable desk, um, which most children do in a public school system, then your brain is distracted. It's not going to be able to work at full capacity and focus on the the lesson to be learned. So first off, we have to create a comfortable, physically comfortable atmosphere to keep the brain focused and not have it distracted by what's going on in the body. Mm -hmm. So that means allowing our children to sit on the couch when they're doing their their reading, Mm -hmm. to be in in comfortable positions and comfortable clothes, having the room itself comfortable. Um, So comfort is a huge, huge, huge must. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that I always tell parents. Um, The next thing that's really important is um, hydration. Oftentimes we don't hydrate. Just a mere 2% drop in the brain hydration can cause um, fuzziness in the brain to the point where it can't focus on a computer, it can't read the outlined words very well. So we don't often, again, it's something that we take for granted because oftentimes we don't even know we're thirsty. We'll be dehydrated before our thirst mechanism even kicks in before our brain tells us, hey, go get a drink. Mm -hmm. So I tell people to constantly reinforce with their children, here, have a glass of water, or or when you take constant breaks, which is another thing that the brain likes in learning. When you focus on the same thing for too long of a period of time, then the brain begins to really kind of way off and it gets it's it gets distracted and it it doesn't just doesn't focus at 100% and a long time is anything past 15 to 20 minutes and oftentimes again because of our training in public schools we think 45 minutes per subject mm-hmm. where in actuality what's best for the brain and how the brain is going to retain that information better is to do it in more sound bites so do it in smaller sections of time do 15 to 20 minutes on a subject, have your child get up and move around because another very interesting fact about the brain is just going from a sitting to a standing position will raise the oxygen level to the brain by 15 to 20%. Mm -hmm. So once you've been sitting for a while, 
your brain starts to lose its, you know, your circulation doesn't get as good. And just going from the sitting to standing position is going to get the oxygen moving up again. So get up after 15, 20 minutes, have your child get up, move around the room, get a drink of water, and that re-energizes the brain and gets it activated again. And then go back, do a quick review because the brain likes quick reviews. Mm-hmm. and move on to the next subject. It sounds very complicated, but it's a pattern that once you get into, mm-hmm. the brain is will respond to and will recall and remember things much better. So that's chunk number one. And Julie, never- before we go, can I, can I just interrupt you for one little second here? Oh, um, I'm sorry, yes. No, no, that's okay. But, you know, that sounded, when you said get up, you know, that sounded ADD to me. You know, because one of my children was ADD. He could not stay still for very long. You know, 10 minutes was his maximum. Then he had to stand up and move around. And the Montessori classroom where he he started was very good about that, you know, because the children were up and down and up and down. So that's really interesting. You say getting up. When, once you stand up, you increase the oxygen. So it's kind of like your body is telling you, hey, listen, I'm this kind of person and I want to refresh myself because I've got new ideas popping into my head all the time. And, you know, these, these ADD children have a function. I mean, they, they really, their brain really knows what, what it needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just it, that way their brains, and that's why you see a lot of children that have been labeled with that ADD or ADHD that are highly intelligent because their brains are constantly on fire and they're constantly taking in information second for second oftentimes Mm -hmm. they're processing faster than the average Mm -hmm. so that's why they they have such a high intelligence and perform Mm -hmm. they they don't necessarily perform well on testings but they have they have a lot of a lot of brain knowledge which is a positive Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. okay so go on to your second chunk oh okay (laughs) (laughs) so the second chunk is in the way you actually present the material um I think I may have, I'm not 100% sure, but I may have last time talked about the learning styles and the communication styles mm-hmm. and how you have 20% of the population that are auditory, 50 to 60% of the population that learn best through visual cues, and then about 20 to 30% that learn best via touch or, you know, hands-on work. Well, really, when you, when you, ta- when you teach multisensory and you wrap all of those in, that is the best way for your brain to remember things. And really all learning is is memory. It's just remembering the facts that you're being taught. Mm-hmm. So the way I like to, to explain it is, for example, if you're sitting and you're reading about, oh, a time in history or even, even math, you know, math can be one of the most oftentimes sterile um, subjects. You know, it's like, okay, we're looking at this piece of paper and there's a square drawn here and we're supposed to figure out what is the perimeter or what is the square feet of the surface area or whatever that may be. And it's just kind of black and white on a piece of paper. If you take that same subject and you move it outside and you literally mark off an area outside, have your child mark off an area outside that they need to measure and then you take it and you say, okay, if we built a fence here, how many feet of fence do we need to put around the perimeter? And you can get as complicated as you want. How many, you know, how many inches of topsoil, how many, because you can take this straight up into high school in the upper grades. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that what you're doing at that point in time is you're making it incredibly multi-sensory. So you are giving the brain 
the lesson, that same lesson, but you're doing it through every single processing um, learning modality that there is. So your brain's not just making an auditory connection to that memory or to that lesson that it needs to learn. It's making multiple mem- or multiple neural connections to that memory mm-hmm. so, or to that lesson that needs to be learned. So later mm-hmm. on, when they need to recall that information, they're going to be able to remember in their head, walking outside, okay, now how did I measure off this area for the fence? Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're teaching history, you know, how did I remember when we made the, the clothes that they wore during this particular time in history or we made the little model that, that represented the housing um, during that time period? Whatever it is, if you can wrap in more than just the reading, the more, more multisensory you can make the lesson, the much better their brain is going to retain that information and be able to recall it later, which mm-hmm. is, in effect, learning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what, Julie? We've come. We've already come to the end of our time, so I'm going to wrap up here. But we are going to be talking later. And um, I've been chatting to Julie Anderson, homeschooler of three boys for 16 years, and we've been talking about um, how the brain learns best. And she gave us a couple of really good tips there as homeschoolers. And um, you know, said a, said a couple of things that I didn't know. Like if you just stand up, you're increasing the oxygen to your brain by about 15 to 20 percent, which is absolutely fantastic. I stood up as soon as she said that. <laughs> that <was Yeah>. <laughs> So as homeschoolers, we are so lucky to be able to modify our instruction to suit our children by finding out how they learn best and how to best present the material to them, depending on their um, unique learning styles and the different sensory um, 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 services that we can we can use to help them memorize or remember certain things and topics that we've been teaching. So, Julie, I know it's been really, really quick this morning, but we will get back together again and we will do a full length show and i just need to say your website your best mind online is that right correct yes your best mind online and julie you have a wonderful weekend and i will talk to you again really soon all right thank you so much for having me on vivian i appreciate it very much well you're welcome you're welcome and have a wonderful day and we thank you Thank you. Well, I've had, I've come to the end of my time here and I'm going to have a really busy weekend with the Jubilee this weekend. So I will let you know how that goes the next time we, we talk. I'll be back same time, same place next week. So without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas. The hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest Julie Anderson and you, my faithful listeners. And while you're on Toginet, listen to Brenda Nixon and to Tricia Goyer they're going to be my special guests in June. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi